Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined on this Friday, as always, by Colby Powell. Colby, how you doing today? Good. It's been a good week, and I think it's fixing to cool off for the next few days. So I'm looking forward to that. We've had it pretty easy this summer. There's been a few hot stretches, but we haven't really been in the hundreds for any amount of time at all. So that's that's positive. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the cool weather. I'm looking forward to football season, which is, gosh, it's getting closer and closer, about three weeks away, something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm fired up. But uh, before we, we got a lot to get into, even though we're still kind of in that lull before the college football season. But before we get into all that, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And, you know, Colby, all the, the Delta variant is a concern. I think I just saw here that Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, is going to do the deal where 72 hours you have to have either a negative test or proof of vaccination, something along those lines. So we, don't, we haven't heard anything like that as far as Stillwater goes, but if you need a mask, if you want a mask, be sure to go to Chris's. They have all the, the OSU ones you could want. Yes, it says the Oklahoma Sooners are requiring COVID vaccine or negative tests within 72 hours to attend the game against New Orleans this season. Okay. Oh, wait, that's, I'm sorry. That's, that's just a misleading headline. That's University of Tulane. I, I was excited. I know Tulane doing that. Yeah. I yeah. Tulane. So I read, the, I read the headline as if this just came out that Oklahoma is doing the same thing, but that's, that's neither here nor there, but if you're not vaccinated, go get the mask, wear your mask at the stadium, and be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So without further ado, Colby, we're getting we're getting really into fall camp. You know, they've been practicing for several days now, and, and Mike Gundy kind of met with the media and did his first. It was his birthday. Let's, I guess let's start there. It was his 54th birthday, which if you can do the math, that's 14 years since the rant, which is just <laughs> astonishing that he's no longer a man. He's now an old man at age 54, but the, the team presented him a birthday cake at practice. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was nice. And I think the most uh, underappreciated part of the rant is that it came after Brandon Pettigrew made one of the greatest plays you've ever seen. And if you were in the stadium that day, you remember what Brandon Pettigrew did to Texas Tech. It was an unbelievable football game. It was awesome. And then all hell broke loose afterwards. So that was quite the interesting day in Stillwater. That was one of the best Big 12 games ever. I can't remember the score. I'll look it up as we're talking. But I remember the interception in the game. It was like neither team could stop each other. And then I think it was a John Holland that made the interception. Man, I'm, I'm turning into an old man here. My memory is fading. But uh, I believe it was John Holland that made the interception to end the game. And let's see what the score here was. 39-45, Oklahoma wow. State. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a game that lost to history because, the, as you know, the rant happened shortly thereafter. So, uh, man, Gundy's again one of the longest tenured coaches in the country. He's done a great job, and he met with the media and had a few interesting things to say. Uh, one of which, which I, I totally unequivocally agree with, is he was asked about the preseason rankings. You know, the coaches' poll just came out. We discussed it on the last podcast. OSU ranked 22nd in the country. He says polls shouldn't come out until October 1st. He says, quote, based on everybody's just projecting what somebody thinks. It's fun, gives people something to talk about. But until we've played all three or four games, we really don't know who we are, where we stand, and uh, et cetera. In which I agree with that, Colby, because teams don't start on a level playing field. Like Oklahoma State at 22 has to catch 21 teams in front of them, whereas the teams that start, let's say, ninth or 10th 
or let's say Indiana, for instance, Indiana is ranked 17th. They're already, they have a head start on Oklahoma state when it's going to come down to the national scene and the national perspective. So I, I've said that for years and I totally agree with Mike Gundy. You know, who good preseason polls are good for, they're good for the names in college football, the brands. They're good for Alabama. Helmets, they're good yep. for OU. They're good for USC. They're good for Texas. They're good for, um, I mean, who else am I missing here? Clemson, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Ohio State, Michigan. LSU. LSU. They're good for the names. And we all know that college football is such a, a click. It's such a club. College football is, it is truly one of the best sports that we have in the United States. It's also one of, if not the most flawed, there's, there's no parody. There's no uh, attempt for any parody. We just let those who are at the top stay at the top forever. And you get every benefit of the doubt. If you're already there, it's like the NFL, the NFL, you're the worst team. You get the first draft pick. You, you do all these different things to have parody in the NFL and you have it take Tom Brady out of the equation. And the NFL is just incredible parody every single year. Different teams make the playoffs, different teams make the Super Bowl. in college football. You win you get all the best players. You get all the benefits of the doubt with the rankings. You get uh, what happened in 2011 where Alabama and LSU wind up playing in a national title game where they had no business playing against each other. Oklahoma State should have been there. Preseason polls are a joke. They've long been a joke, and they only benefit the brands of college football. Texas is ranked ahead of Oklahoma State in the preseason polls. It, it, there's no other reason other than the brand. And, yes, preseason polls are silly. Mike Gundy was spot on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just you could, you could do a preseason poll – I can do the preseason poll for 2031 right now. It's going to be Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Mich uh, LSU, uh, Auburn, Texas. You're right. It's just it doesn't really matter what's going on. Those teams are going to be ranked no matter what. I mean, just look at LSU, Colby. I mean, they're coming off one of their worst seasons in their history, and they're ranked inside the top ten. So that tells you all I need to know about preseason polls. There's no – real factors involved other than just perception. So I, I thought Gundy's, you know, Gundy's always been a forward thinker on, on things like the playoff, uh, things like this. And I just think he's, he's very forward thinking. I think he has a lot of good takes on the, on the sport of college football as a whole. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, one of the biggest talking points all off season long, all fall camp long, especially these first six or seven practices has been the, the emergence of Tay Martin. You and I have talked about him several times on this show. Uh, he, he gave some quotes, I believe, to the Tulsa world, and Mike Gundy was asked about him, and Mike Gundy kind of reiterated that he was out of shape, and he said he's been mature for three months. So to me, Colby, I think it's – sure, the, the conditioning's a factor. Tay Martin even said he wasn't in great shape when he got there. I think for me it's more of the maturity aspect because let's face it, Colby, when you've played on – I'm sure you've played on bad teams before. I've played on really great teams, and I've played on a few bad teams. And when you're on a bad team, you just kind of screw around at practice. You just try to make it fun because, you know, you're not going to be that competitive once you play the games. I've been on a few teams like that. It just kind of, kind of brings your own work ethic and discipline down a, a notch or two. I think coming from Washington State, that's kind of what happened with, with Tay Martin. Now, he, he played under Mike Leach. It wasn't as if they were just terrible – but I just think there's a far different level of discipline going from Washington State to Oklahoma State. And Tay Martin even gave quotes to Tulsa World saying he didn't know the playbook all that well. So to me, I think it was far more about off the field maturity, dealing with the playbook, uh, practice habits, things of that nature. Because we all know, Colby, if, if you don't have that right, coaches just aren't going to put you on the field. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. We saw it. Uh, you know, it, it's always a big talking point in the NFL when a guy goes to New England, right? Everybody says New England's got an incredibly difficult scheme, takes forever to learn. You're not going to get it the first year. Guys have to, you know, um, get into shape up there. It's kind of the same thing going from Washington State to Oklahoma State. You know, no disrespect to Washington State, but they're not a good football program. They've never been a good football program. And it comes to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State wins. And if you're not doing the right things, you're not getting on the field in Stillwater. And it kind of sounds like some of that was going on with Tay Martin. Does that concern me at all going into this season? No, it doesn't. I think that, uh, you know, get a year under your belt. I, I seriously doubt that he's still having trouble grasping the playbook. Uh, nobody should be having trouble grasping the playbook who's already been there because it's the same. How about continuity for once in our lives in Stillwater on the offensive staff when we're talking offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, which is something that Oklahoma State has had no continuity of. I think we forget that last year Tim Rattay comes in and Casey Dunn goes to OC, and then it's COVID year. They don't get to be in person with their team. They don't really get to implement their stuff. And, yeah, the offense looked bad at times last year. It looked anemic at times last year. Chuba Hubbard uh, didn't have it last year for whatever reason. It looked like he was either misused or had some other things going on. I don't know. It didn't go well offensively last year, but I don't think we should discount the fact that it was a new offensive staff running things and they didn't have time with their team. I think this staff with this team, guys will be ready, including Tay Martin. And I said it on, uh, on Tuesday, I expect him to have a big year. I do too. And you're right. You're so right about the staffing stuff. We talked about that on the last pod because Casey Dunn was very forthright with all the issues he had to deal with as you know, first time offensive coordinator, just with the, the injuries at quarterback, the offensive line shuffling all in week one. <laughs> and then they're just trying to survive at that point without a, without a spring football. So there was a lot of issues there. And I did think it was interesting too. Tay Martin said he's gotten to know coach Gundy off the field really well. Tay Martin has a, has a daughter and he's gotten to know Mike and asked him a lot of questions about being a dad. And I think that's, that, that's really cool. And this is coming from the article from uh, Eli Letterman from the Tulsa world. I want to give him credit because it's a really good article. People should check it out. I think it's just, it shows you how far in this. You remember when Mike Gundy got all those issues last, last summer, he said he was going to do better about having player relations. And I think here's proof. He's, he's not just talk. He's, he's about action too. He's gotten to know Tay Martin and given him advice on being a dad. I think that's, that's a real sign of growth for me from Mike Gundy and shows you that he, he kind of learned his lesson. I think he kind of bought into being just kind of the CEO and didn't think he needed to get to know his players all that well uh, over the last few years. And I think he's, he's made real strides there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it uh, last year throughout the season and we'll continue to talk about it. Feels like last year was a turning point for Mike Gundy. At some point we all need uh, a wake up call, whether it's in life with our jobs, in our relationships, whatever the case may be. Sometimes you just need a wake up call because You've gotten in a rut. You've gotten stagnant. Things have stopped moving. You've stopped creating uh, new things. You've stopped creating good things. And it kind of felt like the disconnect was there between Mike Gundy and his players last offseason. It wasn't just Chuba Hubbard tweeting about a T-shirt. If it was just Chuba Hubbard tweeting about a T-shirt, I think it would have gone away a lot easier and it wouldn't have been uh, quite the deal it was last offseason. No, no. I mean, it was, it was stories from players about just the general disconnect between the head coach and his team players from the current team and past teams. And I think Mike Gundy looked at it. And instead of saying, Oh, these guys are just being ridiculous. I can't believe they're acting this way. Instead of doing that. First chance you've been oh working out gosh. with Lane Kiffin. Cause my man looks that terrified me. Carson, if you could see the way I just jumped, 
Oh man. It sounded like a bullet went through your house or something. Okay. So I had the top hundred coaches list and I totally lost my train of thought. Now I had the top hundred coaches list <laughs> pulled up on ESPN. It's been up for 10 minutes, Carson, with no video playing. And then a video just starts on ESPN. I've got my dog in here with me. I've got this headset on. It's cranked up loud. I thought, I don't even know what I thought just happened. I thought the ceiling was collapsing in on us. That so, was bizarre. Uh, that was very bizarre. But no, I think that Mike Gundy uh, has really done a great job in the last 12 months uh, of reestablishing himself as a player's coach, which is always what he was known for. So all the credit in the world goes to Mike Gundy for um, taking the experience last summer and using it as a wake up call instead of just dismissing some of the concerns that players both present and uh, former had even the golf tournament that they had Carson. You remember the golf tournament they had at Stillwater country club and they invited all the former players back. It's just former players haven't been around for a long time. There hasn't been a lot of that. And even that is stepping up. Thurman got in the ring of honor. Barry is getting a statue. I, I don't know how related those things are, uh, but I do think that there's been more of a concerted effort to reach out to former players and make sure that those relationships stay strong as well as strengthening the relationship with current players. Yep, totally agree. And, you know, you and I talked so much, and, and also Barry Sanders getting added to the Ring of Honor this year, too. That news came out during all the OU and Texas to the SEC stuff, so that, that kind of got buried. But uh, Barry Sanders will get his name in the Ring of Honor, and you're right. He will definitely get a statue as well. They've already announced that, too. So long overdue, but they are, they are doing that as well. And, you know, Colby, you and I have talked so much about the receiving core over the last month, and we haven't talked hardly at all about one of your favorites, Braden Johnson. And Mike Gundy was asked about him. I haven't even mentioned the guy, but uh, Mike said he's a slot receiver. You know, they used to bounce him around outside a lot. Basically had him run go routes on the outside. But Gundy's pretty high on him playing in the slot. And let's face it, there, there is a lot of uh, snaps to be had at the slot position now that all the receiving core is, is depleted from, from graduations and, and moving on to the NFL. So do you like his potential in the slot? Yeah, I do. I, I liked his potential coming in last year. I think last year the idea was you've got a speedster in Braden Johnson. I think we all thought he was going to have a big year. It just didn't happen. It just didn't materialize. Uh, part of it was just the overall struggles with the offense. Part of it was Spencer Sanders didn't really have time to stand back there and let a guy run downfield so that he could get a pass up in the air. But Braden Johnson in the slot is interesting to me because one thing that Lincoln Riley does and that OU does, and I, I just love it, they run – underneath mesh routes, crossing routes with little picks, small rubs that are barely detectable. And they get a speed guy running across the field laterally three to four yards up the field, dump it to him at about the hash mark and let him get the corner. The amount of times that I, I saw Lincoln Riley do that when Hollywood Brown was in Norman on third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, they'd run a mesh route with, with Hollywood, dump it to him four yards down the field. And then he'd go pick up 12 more. I think Braden Johnson can do a lot of that same type stuff, even running a little bit deeper crossing route. I mean, Braden Johnson on a 15-yard crossing route, I, I don't know if it's going to be a DB on him. Surely it's not going to be a linebacker on him. He'll run away from that guy. But I think running across the field, Braden Johnson can really create some separation. And then once he has the ball in his hands, he can beat a guy to the corner. So I really hope that we see more of Braden Johnson than we saw a year ago. Yeah, and that's that's easy money. I love that point because when – when you get those guys with that kind of speed running across the field, it is just so hard for the DB to keep up. And just the the angle he's going to have once he gets the football, it's it's over. And you're right. There was so many just, you know, Marquise Brown's breakout game was in Bedlam on a similar route to what you're mentioning when he had over 200 yards in Stillwater. One of those was just a short little 
kind of dump off that he just turned on the jets and, and ran away from everybody. So I, I love the potential of Braden there. He had a, he had a really good bowl game against AM uh, a few years ago. So he's, he's been around a while. And I think this is his real opportunity to step up and be one of the playmakers on this offense. And let's face it, Cole, there's no shortage of, of receiving talent on this team, but a lot of people who are unproven. And I think Braden Johnson's one of the people that has proven he can play at the big 12 level. And uh, one last note from Gundy's rundown is we've talked so much about the receivers and, I'm getting really excited about the running back position. I think you just think of all the years under Mike Gundy, they've basically had a, a starter and then a guy they were pretty confident in to come spell that starter for 10, 15 carries, maybe max. This year, Colby, I think they could keep guys totally fresh by playing four guys, maybe even more at the running back position. And Gundy was asked about the depth. He said, I uh, like both positions, meaning receiver and running back. But he said the running backs are more mature than the wideouts are at this time, which tells me that they've looked really good in camp. You know, you got Jalen Warren coming in with all the incumbent guys like L.D. Brown, Dominic Richardson, uh, all those guys that I mean, I've forgotten a few names. Who was the guy that played last year from JUCO? His name uh, is escaping me right now. Desmond uh, Desmond Jackson. Desmond Jackson. I don't know why yeah. I couldn't think of his name, but <laughs> but man, and they're all they're all kind of running back room. Right. I mean, they're all kind of different too, which is, I think, a good thing because you can, you can use them in different packages and things of that nature. But when I start, the reason I'm pretty bullish on Oklahoma State this year is I think their question mark positions, running back and receiver, I think are going to be really good. They're just guys who haven't got to play a whole bunch. Yeah, and we all know that running back is highly dependent on offensive line, so that's still a question mark for me, although I'm loving me some Caleb Etienne. I cannot wait to watch him get out there and get after it. I Carson, I was so beyond impressed. Impressed isn't even the right word. I need a bigger word. I need a stronger word than impressed for what I saw from LD Brown last year because I just, I feel like going into last year, we all kind of looked at LD Brown and we thought, yeah, Chuba's great. And if you need LD to take a couple of carries, he'll be fine. I, th I think that was the kind of the consensus about LD coming into last season. He, he's fine. Good player. He's fine. Carson, he's so much better than fine. I want to see so much LD Brown this year. And, you know, to keep him fresh, because they've tried to do that with Chuba the last two years. They tried to keep Chuba fresh. We saw it a couple of years ago where he had a, uh, a game in the non-conference where he had like seven carries or something like that. We saw him do it with Justice. Justice is last year, trying to keep him fresh. And the drop from LD to Desmond Jackson is not a big one. Uh, Dominic Richardson and Jalen Warren, uh, you know, Dominic's just young and hadn't been on the field a ton, but I think he's a really good player. Jalen Warren, everyone has said great things about him, but I don't personally know a ton about him, but I know LD and Desmond are pretty good. And those other guys being in, in the running back room, that position is just about solidified. I feel like if you can get some even decent blocking up front, then with that position being as good as it is, I, I don't know. The, the closer we get to the season, the more bullish I'm getting on Oklahoma State's offense whenever we talk about the staff getting a full offseason with their team and so many guys uh, coming back and, and really being expected to be strong performers. So uh, I'm getting bullish on Oklahoma State's offense. There's still the big Spencer Sanders question, but I think there's always going to be the big Spencer Sanders question. He kind of is what he is. Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about that throughout the whole season. And I, I think a big factor on who gets to play the most at running back and I think this is probably where LD Brown's experience will come into place is who can block the best on shotgun formations on third downs, especially because that's fumbling and missing a blocking assignment as a, as a running back are the two things that'll get you pulled off the field really quickly. So I think whoever does the best at that, I think will have a leg up in the, in the competition for carries too. So 
I'm getting fired up. I'm, I'm excited about the offense. We certainly know what they have coming back on defense. Uh, but let's move on to – I thought there was an interesting article uh, from Heartland College Sports. Six games in the Big 12 that could host college game day. You know, Oklahoma State's hosted a bunch of those. They've been on game day a bunch of times during, during Mike Gundy's tenure. And they have two games ranked in their top six. Number four is Oklahoma State at Texas, which – we know the success that Mike Gundy's had against uh, the Longhorns. They did lose last year, which we don't have to go down that road again. I didn't mean to bring that up, Colby, but. Fourth and 26. Fourth and 26, it has to be said. Um, but to me, this is, this game, and of course the Iowa State game for Oklahoma State are just just huge swing games if they're going to make it to Jerry World. I mean, playing at Texas is never easy. Gosh, they they played such a close game up there last time they were in Austin. Remember the, it was the Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, off tackle game in the on in the red zone. They just I, think kept, had, I think you had 37 carries that game. Yeah, it was just remarkable that they even stayed in the game with some, some turnovers. But huge swing game, Colby, playing in, playing in Austin. And I, we don't have any idea what Texas is going to look like coming to this game. But Oklahoma State will likely be five and zero, and Texas, who knows what their record is going to be. But no matter what it is, even if they're three and two, this is a game Oklahoma State absolutely has to win if they want to get to Jerry World. Yeah, it's a huge game. And, you know, Austin for a while was kind of Stillwater South. I mean, Austin was very friendly to Oklahoma State for much of the 2010s, 20-teens. And then the last couple of years, you've fallen to, to Texas. But I would favor Oklahoma State in that game. There's so many unknowns with Texas, and they will have, you know, four or five games to get their legs under them. But I don't know, man. I just feel like Oklahoma State is a better team until Texas proves otherwise. Now, Texas comes out and they look like absolute world beaters and Casey Thompson looks like he could be a first-round pick. I reserve the right to change my mind going into OSU Texas week. But right now, preseason, if you're asking me who I think wins that game, I think it's probably Oklahoma State. And I think that they'll probably be a, a field goal underdog just being on the road. So if you can get an early line, I like the money line value with Oklahoma State in Austin because, yes, they lost there two years ago, but Mike Gundy has been been very good in Austin clearly somewhere he's comfortable coaching absolutely man that's that's always a tough game no matter how down Texas is just even the 2011 game people forget that game was really close uh down in Austin in the 2011 season so that that'll be a huge game potentially game day game day will depend on what Texas's record is most likely because I think Oklahoma State most likely will be five and oh and number six I thought this game could have been ranked a little higher I mean to me there's no way Bedlam's not at least a candidate to be on ABC, let alone college game day. So I guess it depends on the team's records. But, man, Colby, how about Bedlam with a trip to Jerry World on the line with uh, all the SEC talks circulating around Oklahoma? That is going to be an absolutely insane atmosphere in Stillwater. It is going to be insane. Um, I, I, I'm very much aware that this is an Oklahoma State podcast that we're talking about Oklahoma State football. Carson, I am dreading Bedlam more this year than I've dreaded Bedlam in a long time. I do think Oklahoma State's going to have a really good team. OU is going to be so good that it's going to be something that we haven't seen out of OU in a while because they're going to be that good on both sides of the ball. Uh, and weirdly, they just got the number one punter transfer in the country to come to Norman. Uh, Ray, Ray guy type guy. I, I, it makes no sense. Um, it's, somebody had a great tweet. It said being the punter for OU is like being an, a lifeguard at the Olympics. Like, what are you doing? You're just, <laughs> you're just there for show. Um, I'm not looking forward to Bedlam, Carson. I do think the atmosphere is going to be insane, but I just, I've seen that movie. I know how it ends. I don't like the ending and I don't want to watch it again, but I'm going to sit down and for four hours, I'm going to watch it. And boy, I hope I'm wrong, but 
I just feel like they have just absolutely stacked dudes on both sides of the ball. And it comes back to what we've talked about in college football, parody, all that stuff. OU's in the club. OU's always been in the club. If you're in, it's easy to stay in. If you're out, it's almost impossible to get there. So I just, I know that that week's going to be coming all season, but I just can't, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. If somebody thinks I'm crazy, let me know on Twitter, but I'm not looking forward to that week. Well, you're not crazy. And this is what I've been saying over the last, gosh, seven, eight, ten years is Oklahoma State was not beating Oklahoma when they had a historically bad defense. Oklahoma was historically bad. I mean, you're talking dead last in the country in pass defense. And now, I mean, you know, Oklahoma's obviously open practice as well. And the, the, the word out of there is their defensive line looks like an SEC defensive line now. They've got eight, nine deep of dudes that will be drafted. And that's going to be a problem, I think, for Oklahoma State's offensive line. We saw that last year down in Norman. Just the defensive line was just such a mismatch. So they've had trouble beating them when they couldn't play dead on defense. So that's – you're not wrong to be concerned, but Bedlam will certainly be fun. I just hope OSU lets it all hang out, which, to Gundy's credit, he's, he's done in other games, not, not counting last year, but in other games when he had a really good team with Mason Rudolph and company. So that will definitely be a, a game that, that game day will be on their – it'll be on their radar for sure. And one of the storylines, Colby, that's going to go on this year and as long as the Big 12 remains intact is – conference realignment and uh, Barry Trammell, the Oklahoman wrote an article about kind of how Oklahoma state's on the market for other conferences and how a big season this year could only enhance their viability. And certainly being on college game day would kind of raise eyebrows or just remind people how much OSU has been on the national radar for a long time. And uh, I, I do think Colby, it would behoove them to win at least 10 games, make a run at Jerry world, just to kind of remind people, you know, they're, Barry, in Barry's article, OSU's tied for 10th over the last 10 years in wins. And the last five years, they've been not to that standard, but they're still tied for 10th in wins over that span. So it just shows you the level of consistency that Mike Gundy's had. But I certainly think this year, more than others, it would definitely help the brand for OSU to, uh, to have a big year. Yeah, and I think, you know, Yes, brand comes into play. Academics comes into play when you're talking about the Big Ten. But when we're talking about conference realignment, it's still human beings making the decisions. And when people see if this were to happen, if Oklahoma State were to, let's just say, you know, everything breaks right. You go 11-1, you win every game except Bedlam, but Bedlam's close. You lose by, you lose by a touchdown in Bedlam. You compete in the Big 12 title game. You lose by a field goal. I mean – that will stick in people's heads as conference realignment talks are happening because, yes, will Oklahoma State automatically become an AAU school and the Big Ten's going to want them and the enrollment's going to triple? No. But if you see Oklahoma State in that Big 12 championship game, you see what this program is, and, and, it, I, and nobody would call it a fluke. That's what Oklahoma State's built. Oklahoma State's built something good enough that if you have a great year, it won't be downgraded as a fluke. You remember a few years ago when Mike McIntyre won Coach of the Year at Colorado and everybody was just going nuts over Colorado's football program, but everybody kind of knew it was a fluke. He won Coach of the Year, and then Oklahoma State beat their brains in in a bowl game, and Colorado hadn't won a football game since, it feels like. If they had, 38, I, 38 to 8 was the final score yeah, of that bowl game. I, started, I was there. I didn't hear about it. Yeah, I picked OSU to win by three touchdowns that year, I think. <laughs> I looked at the recruiting classes from the last four years going in, and I was like, oh, Colorado's about to get beat like a drum, and they did. It, it was a fluke for Colorado. Gundy's got an Oklahoma State's football program to the point 
that if you really show up and have a great year, 11, 12 wins, including a bowl game, it won't be looked at as a fluke. It'll be looked at as a great season in Oklahoma State doing what Oklahoma State needed to do. And hopefully that's the conversation that we're having in December because it, uh, I, I was about to say it just means more this year. And then I realized that was the SEC tagline. But Carson, it does mean more this year. There's more on the line <laughs> than just this year's football season. It's a big year for the other eight in the Big 12 who are looking for homes. Well, here's what OSU needs to do. Every home game that they're on television, they need to have an airplane flying with a big banner of this stat that Barry lists in his column. Again, they're tied for 10th over the last 10 years, but let's whittle it down to the last five years. They're still tied for 10th among the 65 Power 5 schools. Here are the nine teams who are ahead of Oklahoma State and wins. Only nine. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Penn State. That's the list. That is it. So when people act like Oklahoma State, again, I, I keep saying this is not your mom and dad's OSU. It's not. This is not some plucky, middle-of-the-road Big 12 team that pops up every year or so. They're, they're a consistent winner and at a top-10 level over the past five years or 10 years, however you want to extrapolate it. So they, that, this needs to be on the first line of their 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 package they send to the Pac-12 or the Big 10 is, is this stat right here. Because that there's no other way to slice it that Oklahoma State's been a top 10 program over the last five and 10 years. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, and I would be so bullish on OSU if they went to the Pac-12 because Oklahoma, Oklahoma State has one really big problem. It's the same really big problem they've had Gundy's entire tenure. It's the school down the road in Norman. It's a big problem. Some conferences have juggernauts. The Big 12 has and has had a juggernaut. Big 10 has a juggernaut in Ohio State. ACC has a juggernaut in Clemson. Same thing with Alabama and the SEC. Who's the juggernaut out West, Carson? There's not one. There hasn't been one in a long – there hasn't been a juggernaut out West since probably Chip Kelly left Oregon. Oregon was a juggernaut for the four years Chip Kelly was in Oregon. USC was a juggernaut with Pete Carroll before that. 2012 is the last year Chip Kelly coached at Oregon. Since then, there has not been a juggernaut in the Pac-12. That conference is wide open every year. And I'm not telling you Oklahoma State would go out and be Pac-12 champions every year, but every decade, I bet they'd get a couple because there's no juggernaut in that conference. I competitively in terms of winning a conference, the PAC 12 is the best route for Oklahoma state because they could seriously compete right away in that conference for, for conference titles. Yes. And getting away from Oklahoma just can't be understated. And I, I, I don't think people truly grasp that fact that Oklahoma is literally, you can go over the last 75 years and they're like second or third as far as winning and programs and national championships and conference champ, like they are the big, they are the biggest boy on the block and they're, you know, an hour or so down the road from Stillwater that just that can't, nobody beats Oklahoma. I mean, just look at the conference championships in the last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, however you want to go. Like it's, I understand Mike Gundy should have beaten them more. We all agree with that. OSU's winning percentage against Oklahoma has gone down under Mike Gundy, if you can believe that. Unparalleled success Mike Gundy's had, but it can't be un understated or it can't be overstated. Just the, the behemoth that that Oklahoma has been, and I, I'm with you, man. I getting away from them and going to another Power Five, I think, would end up being a great thing for Oklahoma State. It's just the the uncertainty right now is is hard to deal with, and there is a lot of uncertainty. But to your point about the fact that <laughs> that the big boy down the road has really hindered the perception of Oklahoma State, uh, ESPN, the, the article that you were watching or reading that 
shot off gunfire at you earlier was the list from ESPN from Bill Connolly. I love Bill Connolly's stuff. His S&P ratings, I think, are pretty flawless. I enjoy all of his stuff. And I, there's a lot of head scratchers on this list. And speaking of Mike Gundy, he was ranked. Let's see here. Where did he have Gundy? He's ranked Gundy 65, which 64 is Gary Pinkle, which Gary Pinkle had a great run. But Gary Pinkle was Mike Gundy light in the Big 12. He just played in the North. It's the only reason he got to Big 12 championship games. But the biggest problem I had was Mike Gundy's 65, and Mike Leach is 41. And Mike Gundy owned Mike Leach. He owned Texas Tech. He hardly ever lost Texas Tech in his career until the last you know, couple handful of years when Leach was gone. And uh, I just – and, again, I, I tweeted that out that, I, look, I, I'm one of Mike Leach's biggest advocates – but there's no way you can rank him ahead of Mike Gundy based on what they've done as, as head coaches. And, and Connolly responded and said, that's fair. And it, it probably has more bonus points for what Mike Leach has meant to college football in terms of kind of reinventing the sport with the spread offense, being one of the pioneers of that. And I, I'll listen to that. It's just these lists, they need a little bit more definition for me because in the first paragraph, it says this is strictly based on like on-field performance. So I, I thought Gundy was too low. And I just think Mike Gundy is criminally underrated by everyone based on the fact that he couldn't beat Oklahoma. And let's face it, over 100 years, no one's beaten Oklahoma consistently. And it, and I think I brought this up on a pod earlier, but I want to I bring it up again. You know, I was running a soundbite from Chad Weiberg, and Weiberg called Mike Gundy a Hall of Fame coach, which I agree with. And one of our staffers at Channel 5 is an OU fan. He, he laughed at that. He was like, did that, he's like, did that guy just say that Mike Gundy's a Hall of Fame coach? So I waited till the commercial break and I said, oh, Mike Gundy's absolutely a Hall of Fame coach. And he still scoffed at it. And I'm like, well, look, he's like, well, how many conference championships does he have? And I said, well, how many does Bill Snyder have? Bill Snyder is an unquestionable Hall of Famer. Bill Snyder has two. Mike Gundy has one. He played for a ton of them. Didn't win them, granted. Did win a Fiesta Bowl. Should have played in a national championship game. I just listed off his success over the last 10 years. Mike Gundy is a Hall of Fame coach, and I just I think he's criminally underrated on a national level. It just it amazes me. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to me. So Mike Leach was a big one that stuck out to me that was ahead of him. I'm not as bullish on Mike Leach probably as you are, as most people are. I think Mike Mike Leach and probably this part of the reason that he's ranked number 41. He's like a caricature of a college football coach. He's just goofy and just spouts off and does whatever. It's part of the reason that he's gone from Texas Tech to Washington State to Mississippi State and had never gotten a bigger job is because he is a caricature of a college football coach. Uh, so he's at 41 with Gundy at 65. But Carson, every time that we talk about Big 12 coaches, we rank Big 12 coaches, we talk about uh, career longevity, success over the course of an entire career, we pretty much have Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson in lockstep with one another. It is just hard to differentiate those two coaches. They are, you know, A and B whenever you're ranking them. And Gary Patterson's 28 on this list to Mike Gundy's 65. And I don't know. I mean, I'm reading it here. You know, he gets TCU promoted to the Big 12. He had a, a big run whenever they were in the Mountain West. Okay, he had a big run when they were in the Mountain West. I, I don't know. I think that probably too much credence is being given to Gary Patterson there for them being in the right place at the right time to be promoted to the big 12 after some of those other schools left. I don't know. These, these lists are tough. Chip Kelly. I mean, Chip Kelly had four really good years at Oregon. Chip Kelly's at 58 on this list for his four years at Oregon. Uh, I mean, obviously he's been atrocious at UCLA. I guess we're not knocking Chip Kelly for that. 
I mean, four good years at Oregon, three bad ones at UCLA that I guess we're just totally ignoring. Um, I don't know. These lists are always flawed, but this one I think is especially flawed. I mean, you keep scrolling. Mac Brown's at 21. Bob Stoops is at 26. You talked about this on Twitter earlier. That's a complete joke. Um, you know, the top 10, I don't really have as much problem with. The top 10, um, those guys are pretty interchangeable because those are some of the all-time greats. Uh, Bill Snyder at eight, you know, Bill Snyder was unbelievable at Kansas State. But I think that most of these lists are going to be flawed, and this one undoubtedly is. Yeah, it's flawed, and it, it, there's no – like, look, it's a, it's a, an impossible chore. It's an impossible task to rank these coaches and not have – some disagreements. I fully understand that, but I think he gave a lot of degree of difficulty points for guys like Mike Leach. You know, Mike Leach is one at places that are not places you win football games at. So I think he factored that in. And I think the Gary Patterson points well-made. And I think one spot ahead of Gary is a guy I think that Mike Gundy should be compared most to now that I've thought more about it is, is Frank Beamer. You know, he, he was a lifer at Virginia tech. Mike Gundy's going to be a lifer at Oklahoma state took a program to heights that haven't been seen before and I just think the longevity that Mike Gundy's going to have is very similar to Frank Beamer and, and no one's going to argue that Frank Beamer's not a Hall of Famer so I just I think people just can't get out of their minds that he couldn't beat Oklahoma and I think that's that's held against him and I think that's wrong so this list is flawed and there's there's no list in the world that should rank Mac Brown ahead of Bob Stoops Bob Stoops ran Mac Brown out of Austin because he beat him so bad so 10 10 conference titles to two when they were at the height, when they were both at their pinnacles, tells you all I need to know. So interesting, interesting list gets you through the uh, the dog days of summer. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, one thing I caught my attention after we taped our podcast earlier in the week, Colby, was this article from Go Pokes twenty four seven on our old friend Jelani Woods. And again. People used to say, Carson, he can't catch. Why do you care if Jelani Woods is out there? He's not that good. He's he's terrible. He, he's not why, – why do you care so much? This is why. Because this dude's going to play in the NFL, people. I've been trying to tell you this. He's 6'7", 270 pounds. He's a matchup, a matchup nightmare. I just – to me, Jelani – regardless of what he does at Virginia, I think he's going to get drafted and play in the NFL. And we're going to be sitting here five years from now going, do you remember when they, they had Jelani Woods and he didn't play? He, he caught like 16 balls. He had like 100 yards in an entire season. I think Jelani Woods is going to go down in the, what I call the, the Tyron Johnson All-Stars, the Blake Jarwin All-Stars, of players that have better pro careers and they didn't Stillwater. And it's maddening to me that this guy wasn't more utilized. Carson, go ahead and if you can... Just quick trivia, list for me tight ends since Brandon Pettigrew that have been heavily used at Oklahoma State. Am I missing somebody? Is there somebody I'm not thinking of? Maybe there is. Uh, they use Jarwin not nearly as much as a Brandon Pettigrew, but I think Jarwin probably would be my, my guess. Yeah, I just it, – it hasn't been a position that Oklahoma State has really been successful with, I don't feel like, since Pettigrew. Jarwin was – was good at Oklahoma State. I mean, obviously he made it into the NFL. He was good at Oklahoma State, but yeah, no. he had a hundred. He had a hundred yards, two hundred yards, and then three hundred yards his final year. Jarwin, that's not very much. 
Okay, yeah, that's even less than I would have thought. So, again, another underutilized tight end who's now a starter in the NFL. Probably would have had a big year last year if he didn't get hurt. Hopefully he will have that big year this year in Dallas. But it's just an underutilized position at Oklahoma State. And Jelani Woods is too physically gifted for him not to get opportunities in the red zone. And did, did Jelani drop a few balls in his time at Oklahoma State? Sure he did. But he also made some nice plays. And guys at his size that can move the way he can – you got to keep giving those guys opportunities. You can't bail on them over a drop here and a drop there because I also feel like it kind of got in his head that, okay, I'm getting so few targets. I'm getting so few looks that whenever I get one, I really have to wrap it up. And then it became this mental thing where it's like, okay, this is the one target that I'm getting tonight. You better have it. No, man, he should have been getting seven, eight targets a game, especially when you're down in the red zone. Jelani, look, he always seemed like a great guy in Stillwater, always great with interviews. I, I wish him nothing but the absolute best at Virginia. And I hope that, you know, three, four, five years down the road, I hope I'm drafting Jelani Woods to play on my fantasy football team. I think that would be a ton of fun, and I really am disappointed that it, it didn't work out better uh, in Stillwater, but I hope it works out for him at Virginia. Well, and I, I think people <laughs> – this notion that he can't catch, like, do you think they'd really play this guy at tight end if he couldn't catch the football? And I think, like, you can remember off the top of your head the plays where he didn't make because those were the only plays he had an opportunity to. Like, the, the point you made, like, the, the catch over the middle against TCU last year. I thought it was a little overthrown, hit his hands, could have caught it. I thought it was more of an overthrow than a drop. But you remember that because – he didn't get any other opportunities throughout the entire season. So I just, I think he's going to go down with Tyron Johnson. He's going to go down with Blake Jarwin. And I'm, there's, there's guys I'm forgetting over the years that I just, you, you look back and like, man, why didn't that guy play more in Stillwater? So I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch his career progress, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't dunk on all the people that acted like Jelani Woods couldn't play dead because the NFL is already looking at this guy. So I will, I will, uh, as Jim Trey would say, give it up to myself because nobody else will. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Tyreek, a lot better in the NFL than he was at Oklahoma State. Chris Carson. Tyreek Hill, how could I forget Tyreek? Chris Carson, a lot better in the NFL than he was at Oklahoma State. Yes, I mean, we could probably go on. Man, Ty- that, that was should, not. That should be the Tyreek Hill. It's not. It's no longer the Tyron Johnson All-Stars. It's the Tyreek Hill All-Stars who they were playing at running back and handing it to him off tackle. Oh, no, he was a kick returner too, Carson. He won him that game in uh, – he actually won him two games on returns. He won him the game in Kansas – on a kickoff return. They almost lost to Kansas. Tyreek had to return a kickoff to win that game. And then obviously we know what he did in Norman. Um, the Chris Carson one to me isn't as egregious because running back's a, a one-player position and Justice Hill was really good. But Chris Carson, really good in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's still going. He's a stud. Uh, Cade Cunningham, did you get to watch any of him in uh, NBA Summer League? He had a big uh, showdown uh, with Jalen Green. Yeah, I've watched bits and pieces. I saw him cook Jalen Green behind the back and then hit a three. Uh, I hope that no one's still talking about Cade not being able to shoot. I don't think many people were. It's not a concern. Cade's going to be a good shooter. I will say, I've watched a little bit of Summer League. If the Pistons' plan is to play Cade Cunningham off the ball, that is coaching malpractice, that is organizational malpractice, the owner should come in and fire everyone who has any hand in making that decision and implement an entire new staff. It's summer league, Carson, so I'm not going to get totally worked up now. I'm going to wait and see what they do during the season. But if their strategy, if they think the best way to use Cade Cunningham is to bring the ball up the floor, have Killian Hayes bring the ball up the floor and have Cade stand in the corner and maybe he touches that ball, uh, the ball on that possession coming off a screen or something, 
That's not how you use Cade Cunningham. Cade needs the ball in his hands. He needs to be in the pick and roll, and he can annihilate teams in the pick and roll. With two minutes left in the game, Jeremy Grant at six foot nine, who can fly, needs to be setting screens for Cade Cunningham at six foot eight, who can shoot and force guards to guard those guys. That's what Detroit needs to be doing. So I really hope that whenever I buy NBA League Pass so I can watch the Pistons, I don't see Cade Cunningham standing in the corner without the basketball. That was just bizarre that he was just standing in the corner because he, you're right. His best traits are creativity and passing. And unfortunately at times it looked like he was at Oklahoma state. He could have had like 18 assists that were just bricks from his teammates in Detroit. Detroit's a terrible team and it's going to take them a few more drafts before Cade is in the playoffs. But the, my main concern Colby is, is less about him playing on the ball, which he absolutely should. And you're right. That would be coaching malpractice. My concern for him is something that was probably the only knock on him coming into the league was his athleticism and ability to finish at the rim. He had some some shots blocked at the rim, and he didn't shoot a free throw through the, his first two games in, in the summer league. That That's something that I think he's going to have to really figure out at the next level is finishing at the rim and kind of overcoming some of his athletic deficiencies in terms of NBA basketball. Because we know he can shoot, Colby, but you also know he has to get to the free throw line and he has to be able to score at the rim to open up uh, offense for his teammates as well. So, they, again, it's two games in the summer league. It's not we're not judging his entire career. But if I did have one concern, that would probably be it. Just his, his lack of finishing and ability to draw draw fouls. Yeah, I don't know. That's. Again, don't want to overreact to summer league. Cade's going to have a long, successful career in the NBA. It's sure. uh, it's fun to watch him in summer league. It's fun to see him out on the court, but I'm looking forward to the regular season rolling around and seeing what he looks like against, uh, you know, legit NBA stars, guys who uh, have been in the league for a long time, who know how to, to, to defend guys like Cade Cunningham. Uh, he'll, he'll take his lumps. He's a rookie, but Cade Cunningham is going to be really good. Now, hopefully the Pistons – can be a well enough run organization. Hopefully Troy Weaver and those guys can do a good enough job that they can put a product around Cade Cunningham that he's able to win some games with, get into the playoffs and play meaningful basketball games. Because that is one thing. Probably won't be playing too many meaningful basketball games as a rookie. And just about every game in Stillwater mattered because Oklahoma State needed to win a bunch of those uh, for NCAA tournament Um just to get in and then for seeding, which of course they were misseeded. And then you get in the tournament. Those are one and done, obviously. So every game at Oklahoma state was important. Not that many games in his rookie season in Detroit will be important, but he'll still be fun to watch. Yep. Can't wait to watch him once the season gets going. Uh, one more thing before we get out of here. I just saw this article pop up on pistols firing uh, Bill Connolly, who we mentioned does the S and P ratings uh, for ESPN. He's really high on Oklahoma state's defense. He has Oklahoma State's defense ahead of Oklahoma's at 13th in the country. Oklahoma would be 15th, Baylor 16th. Uh, that, and the, again, I think these S&P models are really a really good predictor on how good you're going to be both on offense and defense. And he has Oklahoma State ranked 13th in the country. That is, whew, if you had told 2005 me that Oklahoma should be ranked 13th in the country defensively, that would be uh, – I wouldn't have believed you. That's, that's a pretty good uh, predictive uh, predictor for the uh, defense coming into the year. Yeah, and I don't think that that's totally crazy. I mean, what juggernaut offenses other than Oklahoma is Oklahoma State going to face this year? Iowa State will have a good offense. I don't think they'll be a juggernaut. Brock Purdy uh, has been up and down against Oklahoma State. He had the, the big breakout game in Stillwater. He also had the game at Iowa State where he threw three fourth-quarter interceptions, and Oklahoma State had one of those that was a pick six, and they win the game. 
Casey Thompson in Texas. We don't know what that offense is going to look like. There aren't going to be any other juggernaut offenses in the Big 12, unless I'm missing somebody. I mean, Tech's not that anymore. Kansas State's just kind of the dink and dunk what they do. Um, Baylor, no. TCU, no. West Virginia, no. Kansas, obviously not. So uh, I think Oklahoma State does have a legitimate chance to be a top 10 to 20 defense this year. Uh, Oklahoma State still needs to create a bunch of turnovers and I, I still want to see what it looks like at corner without Rodarius Williams. I just, I cannot say enough good things about how great Rodarius was last year. He was totally undervalued in the NFL draft. He's going to be in the NFL for a long time because uh, I don't care what he runs in the 40. Wherever his receiver goes, he goes. And he stays in that guy's hip pocket. It was, uh, it was an unbelievable year from Rodarius. So that's one little small concern that I have, but it's a small concern. Oklahoma State's loaded at safety, at linebacker, on the D-line. So, yeah, that, that group's going to be uh, hopefully as good as it was last year and as good as it's been in a long time. You're my gambling aficionado. One more thing before we get out of here. I've said that twice now, but this is the last thing I promise. What's OSU's win total? And would you take the over or under? Last, I haven't looked at it recently when it came out. When it came out, it was insulting is what it was, Carson. It was seven and a half when it came out. I, I mean, think it's up to eight. Last I checked, it was eight at uh, Bet Online. Yeah, I'm still taking the over eight. I'm still taking the over eight. Uh, I think eight and a half, because the over eight, you still push if they go eight and four. Uh, eight and a half means they could lose three, means they could lose to OU Texas and Iowa State and still hit it. Now they'd have to win uh, probably a couple of coin flips with like TCU. Uh, you never know about Kansas State, West Virginia maybe in Morgantown. Oklahoma State's had success there. Uh, you assume they're going to win at Boise, but it's not a given, but that's a game you should win. So eight and a half would be a tougher call, but I think I would still lean over. I, I think that this Oklahoma State team strikes me as either a nine or 10 regular season win team. I do too. I, I would definitely bet the over because I mentioned they're probably going to go five and zero. Oh. They got Missouri State, Tulsa, at Boise State's no gimme, but I think that's the game they should absolutely win. Kansas State, Baylor, that's five and zero. Oh. I mean, they got to win three more just to push. I mean, they at Texas, we, we could just say that's that's a swing game. At Iowa State, certainly probably more likely a loss. But then you got Kansas at West Virginia, TCU at home at Texas Tech. I mean, I think eight. I think eight's about the floor for me. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm just being an OSU podcasting homer here, but I think eight's the floor. I think I, at worst, I think you come out with a push, barring you know, barring obviously injuries, which every team you could say that about every single win total in the country. Yeah, I I do think I I think this is a nine or ten win team. I do think that the floor is still. Uh, I mean, I, I still think the floor is probably seven. Because you could lose, you could easily lose to OU, Iowa State, and Texas. That brings you down to nine. And then you've got Boise, Kansas State, TCU, West Virginia, Baylor Tech. I mean, th these are games that you should win, but they're not givens. If Spencer Sanders throws three or four interceptions against TCU, you're probably not beating TCU. Um, you know, if, if two offensive linemen on the right side of the offensive line get hurt leading up to the week against Kansas State, you might not beat Kansas State. It's things that we've seen happen to Oklahoma State in the past. So I still think the floor is probably seven, but I certainly wouldn't bet on seven. I, if I were a betting man, if you, if you told me you've got $1,000 today and you have to put it down on one number of games you think Oklahoma State's going to win, I'd put it on nine. Me too. Love it. Anything else, Colby? Don't think so. Everybody have a great weekend. We are inching ever closer to college football. It's going to be here before we know it. I can't wait. Cannot wait. We'll talk to you next week. Well, folks.